Hey, welcome back to the channel. My name is Seem Lund and today we're doing another Instagram Q&A where I answer questions that you asked me on Instagram. And uh, if you want to ask yourself a question in the future, then make sure you follow me on Instagram at Seem Lund. All right. So first question, are calories and hormones responsible for obesity? So that's the very, you know, conflicting, uh, let's say, stance. Like, is it calories that causes obesity? Is it hormones? Is it insulin that causes obesity? Uh, I personally think that, you know, it's a combination of both. Uh, the main culprit is definitely like calories. When you look at a the trend, then over the past few decades, then uh, the amount of calories consumed in Western countries has increased quite a lot. We're consuming, you know, 200, 500 more calories a day. Some individuals in the US, especially, they may be even consuming like a thousand more calories a day. And uh, yeah, that's just generally the main cause of why people are gaining weight and uh, why there is like a massive problem with obesity. And uh, those calories generally come from, you know, processed foods, junk foods, uh, restaurants, uh, takeaways, those things. Many people don't cook their foods anymore and they opt for the prepackaged uh, foods. Uh, TV dinners, all those things that just have added calories. And uh, yeah, those calories add up quite easily. Like you can easily ha have, you know, 400 more calories in a salad if you just add more dressing and oils and those kind of things. Eating regular spinach, lettuce, broccoli isn't going to make you fat. It's going to make you fat only if you have like Caesar, Caesar salad dressing uh, or yeah, just other kind of added calories in the meal. Uh, the amount of like carbohydrate intake hasn't necessarily increased uh, or like from whole food carbohydrates, it hasn't increased necessarily. It's mostly increased from uh, added sugars and sugar sweetened beverages and uh, added fats as well. So it's not that, you know, people are eating low fat diets. They're not. They're eating high fat diets, high carb diets and uh, low protein diets, which generally just makes their bodies burn less calories, first of all, reduces their insulin sensitivity, makes them gain weight and causes this leptin resistance that uh, enforces overeating over time. Like your brain doesn't receive the message that it's full and that that's the reason why people overeat. Uh, like the processed junk food generally overrides this uh, satiety signals and uh, causes leptin resistance, which over time causes insulin resistance, which uh, keeps your blood sugar levels elevated all the time and um, yeah, makes your body less responsive to, you know, the uh, like uh, exercise as well as uh, makes it easier to store fat and calories. So if you are lean and healthy, then carbs are fine. You can even eat junk food if you're lean and healthy because you're already insensitive. The further you gravitate away from the center where you are insensitive, the worse it becomes. The easier it is to store calories because your body loses its insensitivity and loses its ability to pretty much um, store calories and uh, glucose in the muscle cells as well. So from a hormonal side, then insulin alone isn't the issue because, I mean, lean people, uh, athletes, they eat a lot of carbs and they're very, like, insulin sensitive. So it's a matter of insulin resistance that usually caused by overconsumption of calories and overconsumption of fats and carbs. So it's not carbs, it's not fat, it's just the overconsumption of calories that causes this hormonal disruption and uh, this, like, insulin resistance that uh, makes pe people gain weight over time much more so and also like the, like the psychological aspect of just eating more um, and craving more of the calories. This episode is brought to you by Bond Charge, formerly known as Blue Blocks. My favorite light and sleep optimization companies, Blue Blocks, has rebranded themselves as Bond Charge. They're now involved with a huge range of evidence-based products to improve your wellness and life in every way. Their extensive range of premium wellness products 
helps you to sleep better, perform better, have more energy, recover faster, balance your hormones and reduce inflammation. My favorites are the red light light bulbs because they can be used to create a melatonin friendly environment in your bedroom by shining only red and not blue or green light waves that will reduce your sleep quality. After starting to use these red light light bulbs, I find it much easier to fall asleep and feel less awake before bed. If you want to try out these amazing products that are the cornerstones to my most optimal sleep, then head over to bondcharge.com forward slash seamlund and use the code seam15 to save 15%. Best tester booster, <laughs> so I think best testosterone booster is probably uh, like resistance exercise, so heavy compound lifts, uh, barbell squats, deadlifts, bench press, overhead press. Those, uh, and in studies they do find that uh, these heavier compound lifts are more superior for testosterone, protein synthesis, IGF-1 levels and uh, just results as well in terms of the muscle growth and strength. Uh, but of course, like if you're sleep deprived, you're uh, under chronic stress and under calorie restriction a lot, then um, even then it's not going to help you. <laughs> so you need to have like, you know, the lifestyle optimized, but uh, individually one-on-one, then the heavy resistance training is generally the most powerful testosterone booster. Uh, what to do with leaky gut? So uh, generally for the leaky gut, you want to... Um, first identify what is causing that usually some sort of like inflammatory uh, compounds or foods uh, certainly like lectins and um, oxalates or those kind of things that plant compounds could cause leaky gut for some individuals um, but uh, generally it's like an allergy or something like that that uh, triggers the issue uh, gluten could be an issue as well but if you're not gluten intolerant then generally you don't need to like avoid gluten either uh, and to like repair the gut lining, you need to first remove the like inflammatory uh, food that is causing the issues, as well as just uh, increase your protein intake. Glycine is great, collagen is good, and uh, protein intake overall, plus some uh, glutamine. Glutamine supplementation is also like directly helps with the repair of the intestinal lining. To, to do what are the best sources of carbs do you advise taking resistant starch so i think the best sources of carbs for you know health and body composition are fruits potatoes maybe rice buckwheat millet and uh, yeah those kind of carbs um, those are generally the healthiest like complex carbs starchy carbs and uh, resistant starch i think yeah resistant starch is a good addition for gut health and uh, resistant starch also just lowers the blood sugar response of the meal and improves digestion. So yeah, like cooked and cooled potatoes are great and uh, cooked and cooled rice or uh, green bananas. Uh, there's a slightly greener bananas, can be uh, amazing. Can fruits be good and how adding them to a low carb diet? Yeah, fruits are great. Um, you know, generally you don't need to avoid fruits. I wouldn't consume like super high amounts of fruits. Uh, like a fruitarian diet probably isn't the best, uh, especially on like a high meat diet as well. A lot of fruit can be, you know, you call, create a lot of these AGEs, advanced glycation end products from that, um, which is probably not the best for skin health overall. Uh, and, but uh, in moderation, a little bit of fruit, a little bit of berries are great. They have like some polyphenols, good for hydration and uh, like quick exercise uh, boosts as well. What are the best vegan protein powders? Um... I think uh, you know the best vegan protein powder uh, that I've come across is by Newsest, which has like pea protein, uh, and it ha has like stevia as a sweetener, so it's pretty you know natural in the sense, and it tastes uh, pretty damn good. 
how much glycine a day for a woman of 49 kilograms <laughs> 49 kilograms um, I mean for glycine you know you need generally like at least 10 grams almost everyone would need because or for optimal health and for optimal collagen turnover you would definitely need like at least 10 grams because yeah your body makes three grams every day itself but those three grams go for you know creatine and glutathione synthesis which doesn't leave that much left for the collagen synthesis uh, but the daily collagen turnover is like 12 grams so yeah like your body makes three you consume uh, a bit of from diet and take like 10 grams of supplement as a glycine then that uh, pretty much covers your daily optimal intake of the glycine. Of course, you can get away with less, but yeah, I mean, the collagen decreases with age, and uh, glycine also has like just other health benefits in terms of like inflammation and blood sugar levels. Uh, to do what are your thoughts on David Sinclair getting the FDA to ban all vitamin supplements? So. Um, yeah, I made a video about it. Check it out. It just uh, talks about how the FDA considers NMN to not be suitable to be sold as a dietary supplement. I don't agree with that definitely because, yeah, first of all, NMN can be found in whole foods like broccoli, tomatoes and other vegetables. It's just the quantities are so small. Uh, regular NMN is, is a dietary supplement. I don't think there is anything about regular NMN that would, uh, would not make it a dietary supplement. It's only the beta crystalline uh, NMN, so the MIB626 that David Sinclair helps to formulate. That one is is the pharmaceutical. <laughs> I think the ban should apply to that. Uh, so that's my thoughts. So I think overall, I think the likelihood that the actual the regular NMN getting banned from like Amazon and uh, being sold in the US is uh, quite low. It's maybe like 25%, I guess. But uh, the 75% would mean that uh, it only applies to the MIB626. Which magnesium supplement to take? There's lots of different ones. So there's different forms of magnesium. Magnesium thionate, bisglycinate, malate, taurate, uh, oxide sulfate, bicarbonate. Uh, I think the best ones are for the brain especially is a thionate. And for sleep as well. For sleep also like bisglycinate, malate and taurate are good for the heart function. So obviously, yeah, like you would be better if you combine different forms of magnesium, but uh, consuming like any form of magnesium will still raise your magnesium status and magnesium levels. Uh, it's just some of them are, you know, targeting different uh, areas of the body and some of them are just less bioavailable. So like oxide generally doesn't have that good bioavailability. Citrate is usually used for like diarrhea and constipation because it can cause you to uh, get diarrhea or something like that uh, so it actually doesn't like really raise your blood magnesium levels that much uh, but regardless I personally like bisglycinate, threonate, malate, orotate as well and uh, taurine or yeah um, how to reduce cellulite <laughs> so uh, yeah for for that you know there's like stretch marks as well as the cellulite on the skin a lot of it you know, can be improved with some uh, weight loss and uh, resistance training, strength training, uh, not besides the stretch mark. Like, you know, if you build muscle, then you can even be lean and still get stretch marks. Uh, but the, for the cellulite, it does improve the skin condition. Uh, red light as well, derma rolling, so using these microneedling devices on the skin is probably, it's good for both. It's good for the stretch marks as well as the cellulite. Uh, good diet, anti-inflammatory diet, uh, or, you know, the diet that doesn't raise your inflammation doesn't cause any allergic responses uh, collagen 
glycine, microneedling, uh, red light, infrared sauna, cold therapy probably as well. Next question, how to stay insulin sensitive while bulking? So uh, yeah, obviously to build muscle mass, then you need to be in some aspects of a calorie surplus. The amount of excess calories that you need to consume isn't that much. Like you can get away with even like 300 calorie surplus and still build muscle quite nicely. What your main focus should be is on the progressive overload. You just want to focus on the training and getting stronger over time because you know, there's only a certain limit of how much body or how much muscle your body can build under a calorie surplus. It's, it's almost like time gated. <laughs> you, no matter how many extra calories you eat, your body still won't build more muscle. Uh, it only builds muscle, like there's certain amount of muscle it can build every day and every week, in my opinion, it almost feels like that. So there's no point in eating like a thousand calorie surplus uh, or a 2000 calorie surplus or something like that. You can get away with only like a 300, 500 calorie surplus and that already pretty much avoids the situation where you're gonna get this insulin resistance and uh, you know high blood pressure or uh, bad lipids and those kind of things. The worst thing when you are doing bulking is to mess up your biomarkers um, because you know, uh, or especially if you're not training the right way. If you're bulking, eating extra calories, and you're not training the right way, that will actually build muscle, and you're kind of winging it, you know, not taking that seriously, missing workouts, and uh, not really seeing progressive overload. Then yeah, you're just getting fat. There's no point in that. Uh, when you are bulking, you should yeah focus on the progressive overload and try to maximize your training sessions of uh, building the most muscle from that, and then giving your body just a small surplus of calories to uh, repair and facilitate the growth. How to also maintain insulin sensitivity is to, um, you can maintain the better insulin sensitivity by doing some aspects of like carb cycling. So restricting carb intake on some days and on other days eating a lot more carbs, especially after workouts. Some aspects of uh, time you eating can help with that as well. Like, yeah, you don't need to eat like six times a day to build muscle. The research suggests that the maximum meal frequency for naturals is four times a day. You don't need to, you, you don't need to eat more than four times a day. And I think, yeah, like for most individuals, even two times a day is adequate. Uh, and obviously one meal a day is possible, but it's a lot harder. I wouldn't like <laughs> recommend uh, doing that, but two meals is very good. And yeah, four meals is the maximum. Uh, you can also take a few supplements that can help to maintain insensitivity, like chromium, bicolinate, cinnamon, you just take cinnamon as a spice. And um, yeah, like different kinds of glucose disposal agent supplements like that have vanadium or berberine and those kind of things. With berberine, you want to be careful careful and not to take it after resistance training because it can like suppress mTOR, which is the muscle growth pathway. Uh, but the chromium you can take uh, pretty much every day and it does help with insulin sensitivity uh, in even like healthy resistance trained individuals. What do you know about eating raw, uncooked, unheated proteins? Uh, so, uh, generally like cooking increases the bioavailability of nutrients, uh, to a certain extent. So not overcooked, not over fried, not overheated, but mild temperature alteration or mild heating does improve some of the nutrients. For example, especially carbohydrates, like you can't really get any nutrients from uh, raw potatoes, but, uh, cook the potato and you have a very good source of nutrients. Same with meat because the meat is raw. Uh, and the protein is all there, it's actually, you burn a lot more calories and you waste more energy digesting that protein. You don't necessarily get more of the like nutrients because yeah, those nutrients also get wasted. Whereas if the meat is slightly cooked, then the bioavailability is a bit better and the digestion is a bit better. But you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you look at the 
rareness of the meat, then it should be like, I think the best is like rare or medium rare, or something like that. Not uh, like well done. <laughs> well done meat is not the best for uh, digestion as well as the micronutrients, but rare is probably pretty good. Um, TMG or glycine, especially before bedtime. So for bedtime, you definitely want glycine. So glycine is lowering your body temperature. It um, is an inhibitory amino acid, uh, an inhibitory neurotransmitter in the brain that makes you more relaxed and calm, uh, reduces like this overthinking and arousal. TMG, trimethylglycine, doesn't really have any like sleep effects. I think uh, it's mostly like a methyl donor that uh, you would want to take like during the daytime. But glycine before bed is amazing. Yeah, like you can take quite a lot of like three grams of glycine before bed and it's going to improve your sleep quite a, quite a lot. Thoughts on oatmeal. So uh, I haven't eaten oatmeal maybe like, I only eat oatmeal maybe once a year, <laughs> randomly, like just uh, sometimes I'll just eat it, uh, but uh, I don't eat it regularly. I think, you know, again, you don't have to avoid it if you don't have gluten intolerance. Uh, I do I do like the taste. I think it tastes good. It's just, um, it just it takes a bit of time to cook and, you know, I usually don't eat oatmeal for dinner, which is where I eat most of my food, especially the carbohydrates. Um, how much minutes of sun daily? So I think that depends on where you're at. So, uh, and, uh, you know, the position of the sun. So the hot, let's say at summer, the most intense sun, the brightest sun is at midday. So around 12 to 1 PM, something like that. That's the most intense, the brightest sun. That's, you also get the most UV radiation. So in that sense, you don't want to be like a lot of sun at that time. At, at the like when the sun is at the zenith you want to like minimize some of the sun exposure and uh, then get the sun exposure at other times so in the morning you want to get you know five minutes uh, of sunlight exposure in the midday after the peak where it's the hottest also like you know maybe you know 20 minutes is 20 generally they say that like 20 minutes of sun exposure is enough to get your vitamin d but it depends on, uh, you know, how much skin are you exposed to. If you're naked, then you can get it probably like in 10 minutes. If you're wearing clothes, then it takes, yeah, 30 minutes or something like that. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would say like, you know, an hour a day is pretty good if you can manage, if you can get that. Uh, like if you're at the equator or at like a southern country, then I don't think it's healthy to uh, be out on the sun directly, especially at the midday for, you know, two hours or something like that. I think it's smarter to kind of uh, stay in the shade, especially in the hot period and uh, try to get more like morning sun and uh, evening sun. Do, do, do. How much weight should you be able to lift as a man? <laughs> so that's a good question. Uh, depends on your age. You know, let's say you're 18, then uh, the strength standards are probably a lot different than uh, if you're in your 30s or 40s. So generally, like you are the strongest in your 30s as a man. Uh, and in your 40s, it begins to decline some of the muscle strength and muscle mass naturally. But of course, if you already train and you have like a lot of history of training, then you'll probably be even stronger at that time as well. But let's say some good standards, I think like, you know, some, yeah, like if you want to, first of all, take training seriously and you want to be formidable, <laughs> essentially. You want to be a formidable individual 
who uh, is capable and uh, competent in terms of physical training and uh, being able to hold themselves up and uh, you know take care of themselves then let's say hypothetically some numbers for the squat i think at least like a double body weight for a man uh, a deadlift 2.5 times body weight bench press maybe uh, 1.5 times the body weight something like that and overhead press you might at least like at least your own body weight for the overhead press so let's say 80 kilos i weigh like 81 kilos um i can overhead press yeah like 90 kilos is my max and uh bench press i can almost not i can bench press like uh, 100 and maybe 35 something like that kilos uh, the squat is my like best lift i can squat 180 kilos so yeah like twice my body weight uh or actually more two point like yeah 2.1 times my body weight or 2.2 times my body weight deadlift is a bit um something around 200 yeah so uh yeah i i, I pretty much cover those they are like m more like yeah intermediate advanced numbers generally like you know the most the average person generally they can't squat even like more than one one times their body weight. Um, the average like man can't probably squat, you know, their body weight even. Um, so that's definitely you know something that would be nice to aim for. Like ideal numbers would be those. Like lifetime goals would be those for the let's say individual. But again, depends on your goals overall. Like uh, if you can't lift those numbers, then it doesn't mean that you're like lesser of a man or that you can't you know hold yourself up or protect yourself because you know fighting is more important than uh, lifting in some sense if you can lift a lot but you can't fight then you know what's the use uh, the strength component is yes still like laying the foundation for the fighting as well as laying the foundation for you know working you know being able to do physical labor i think that's important as a man of having the capability of you know lifting things around the house and uh, you know building your own house or whatever lifting stones <laughs> i think that's uh, quite uh, um, from a, like a men's philosophy side would be quite important to do but yeah those are some random numbers that i would consider like good to aim for uh, one point or two times your body weight for the squat uh, 1.5 for the bench press one time one time body weight for the overhead press and for the deadlift uh, 2.5 times your body weight thoughts about new papers of nmn thank you so there haven't been like a lot of new papers in MN besides the uh, you know FDA ban, <laughs> uh, but I think one recent one that I did notice was that the NMN wasn't uh, in humans. It uh, didn't show any improvements in exercise performance, which uh, I generally might agree with. Uh, I don't think that NMN will directly have like exercise performance effects similar to like creatine or uh, caffeine or something like that. NMN, what it does do is like you know improves your metabolic health and reduces this let's say stress on the body and uh, i think the best application of nmn is to yeah like disease states disease states like um, you know muscle wasting uh, as well as um, you know sleep deprivation and the circadian mismatches that's the best application for nmn i personally do notice that i'm just more energized during the daytime if i take nmn but i don't think that um, it directly helps with exercise performance uh, so yeah, that's my thoughts on those studies. High reps, low weight versus high weight, low reps for glycogen depletion. 
So for yeah, glycogen depletion, like higher reps is uh, a bit superior to uh, low reps and heavy weights. So you do, you know, tap into your glycogen stores with heavy weights as well, and you do so more, but the total volume is a bit low for that to have like a more significant effect. Whereas if you do higher reps, then you do burn the glycogen as well quite a lot. So you start to burn your glycogen after 65% of your VO2 um, max. And in weightlifting, like, yeah, like if you're doing 8 to 12 reps of something, then uh, that burns the most glycogen. If you're doing like 5 reps or less, then uh, you also burn glycogen, but it's the volume is a bit lower. So it has like less glycogen depleting effect, in my opinion. So yeah, like you need to go to pretty much failure to have the biggest effect on glycogen depletion. How many times a day do you eat? Currently, uh, I eat uh, still once a day. Uh, with like yeah the protein shake and I also add like some blueberries for the pre-workout carbohydrates uh, So yeah, that's pretty much what I'm doing <laughs> right now. What's your most favorite leg exercise? Just a regular barbell squat. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've been doing that for yeah, like 10 years almost and uh, it's the most effective one I don't train actually almost any other leg exercise uh, with like with a few exceptions I do also like the uh, sissy squats. I do the split squats at home with my body weight uh, but at the gym, I generally do only like barbell back squats. Do, do, do. What is your melatonin protocol? Days on, days off, amount, and why? So I do uh, microdose melatonin. I think that's a very good and safe strategy for boosting your antioxidant defense systems, as well as reducing inflammation, boosting your immunity, and uh, improving just the overall quality of sleep. So a small amount of melatonin, like 0.1 to 1 milligram, is uh, good to um, pretty much fall asleep faster and uh, more easily. Uh, the amounts in those, or those amounts also aren't going to suppress your natural melatonin production at all. So even in studies where they use 50 milligrams, 5 in, even in then it doesn't uh, suppress natural melatonin production so you would have to take like a huge amount of melatonin for it to have any effect on your natural melatonin production and even then i think even if you take 100 milligrams i don't think it's going to suppress your natural melatonin production uh, so the dosages of like 75 milligrams have been shown to be contraceptive so i wouldn't take you know uh, any more than you know three milligrams probably is the maximum that i would take but um, yeah, like one small microdose, 0.1 1 milligram is safe and actually helps the, with the sleep quality and like the anti-aging of your sleep, in my opinion. How frequently, you know, I wouldn't do it every day. I would uh, do it like, yeah, maybe every other day, uh, just so you wouldn't develop like psychological dependence so that you wouldn't think that you need it. Um, but um, yeah, like you can pretty much do it every other day and uh, yeah, like an hour before bed, something like that to start producing some melatonin uh, before sleep. Since heating nut oils is bad, are roasted nuts also bad? Uh, I think, yeah, so like roasted nuts are more inflammatory. I don't think they're like more inflammatory than like smoked meat or uh, deep fried something, uh, chicken. So they're pretty much the same on the same like um, lever or the same step in terms of the inflammatory uh, process. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't like eat roasted nuts, but if you have like, you know, a few uh, pieces of almonds that have been roasted, then I don't think it's gonna, you know, harm you. Significant, unless you're eating like an entire bag of nuts. How much glycine to notice effect on 10, 70 kilogram uh, male? 
So 70 kilograms, it's pretty much the same, like 10 to 15 grams as the, yeah, as, as much as the females. Why supplement glycine when you can get it through diet? Well, I mean, if you're eating pork skin, then yes, <laughs> I just don't know many people who eat pork skin on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, like you do get some glycine from chicken skin, fish skin, uh, pork skin, and uh, some meats as well have a bit of glycine. But like I said, yeah, the optimal amount of glycine that you would need is like 15 grams uh, per day to cover collagen turnover and uh, creatine and glutathione synthesis. And if you eat, you generally get like maybe 5 grams or six, seven grams at most, plus the three grams that your body synthesizes. So even in that case, optimally for the optimal collagen turnover and optimal skin health and anti-aging purposes, then you would still need like, you know, five, 10 grams of glycine, even that, in that case. If you don't take the glycine supplement, then you should still eat like gelatin or a jello. So sugar-free jello that's made of beef gelatin and those kind of things, you can just eat that and uh, you get a lot of glycine from there. Uh, do you need to warm up before doing, say, five deadlifts multiple times a day at home? So it depends on how heavy it is. <laughs> so if uh, the five deadlifts is at your 80% of your one rep max, which is quite heavy, then uh, it would be better to yeah, like warm up a little bit. Technically, if you're a fit individual and uh, you practice good mobility and good form, then you shouldn't need necessarily to warm up every time. Like a lion doesn't warm up when it goes for a sprint. If it's cold and your muscles are cold and tight, then uh, obviously, yeah, it's smarter to warm up. But let's say you should always have the ability to just, you know, do a sprint. You shouldn't like warm up to do a sprint. You should have, as a human, now uh, you should have the ability to go for a sprint whenever um, in, in, and you like not get injured in the process. But if I were you like, doing five deadlifts multiple times a day at home, then I would, uh, I would you know, warm up a little bit, like do an empty bar for a little bit for like maybe 10 reps of empty bar and then go with the five deadlifts. Um, glucose, sucrose or fructose as preferred source of energy. So I think glucose is generally the best. So because that glucose can go to both the liver as well as the muscles, whereas fructose can only go into the uh, liver. What's your thoughts on the sauna blankets? So, uh, yeah, the sauna, infrared sauna blankets, I do think that obviously they work in terms of the infrared. So you can even just sit there and get the infrared uh, wavelengths. So you don't need to like sweat or you don't need to get hot for the infrared to work. The infrared works already just getting exposed to it. So technically you could just yeah, turn on the blanket and sit in it and you're going to get the health benefits of the infrared for the sweat and detox benefits that you get from the sauna, then for that you probably need to stay in the infrared blanket for quite a long time, for around uh, an hour or 45 minutes, something like that, because it doesn't really get that hot uh, as much. Uh, so um, yeah, like when you get the benefits in an infrared sauna, you get it within you know, 15, 20 minutes, or the traditional sauna as well, 15, 20 minutes already, you max out the benefits. Then for the sauna blanket, you probably need like maybe 40 minutes, kind of twice as much. And uh, yeah, I personally, I haven't like used the sauna blanket or the sauna cubes, you know, these uh, <laughs> rectangles or uh, square saunas that cover your body, but your neck is out. <laughs> I haven't used those, but uh, I think uh, the blankets, I, I think they sound a bit like, you know, inconvenient or, you know, 
I don't know how you clean it. Like if you sweat in it, are you supposed to clean it as well? So uh, yeah, I just I'm gonna just use the regular infrared sauna or the traditional sauna. But if you're like in a small apartment or you're traveling, then the infrared sauna is a very good alternative as well. Uh, is it for muscle growth to train in the morning and eat OMAD in the evening with whey shakes and EAA? Uh, technically, yes, especially if you take the protein shake during the training. So you work out in the morning, drink the protein shake with EAAs and whey protein, and then eat dinner, then I think that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. You're pretty much uh, able to make gains with that protocol quite easily. If you work out fasted and then you fast until dinner again, so you're like, you know, 10 hours fasted after the workout, then that generally is a bit bad for muscle growth and results. So it'd be more light or you would want to have like some protein and calories closer so like you know you could easily wait five or six hours but 10 hours is a bit uh, too long uh, all right last question question can we ignore the sugar content on fermented foods like kimchi or is it still good to eat um so i mean almost all all, all foods or all carbohydrates have some sugars <laughs> Uh, in, in some amounts and the sugar is actually used for the fermentation process so it's, that's what feeds the bacteria to create the fermentation um, and I think you know the quantity of sugar in kimchi or sauerkraut is very small uh, like I wouldn't worry about that and uh, I mean the probiotic benefits generally like outweigh the small amount of sugar in there all right that's it for this uh, Q&A if you want to ask me another question in the future then uh, make sure you follow me on Instagram at Seamlund where I'll be doing these uh, regularly but on that thanks for watching this video make sure to click the like subscribe notification bell as well my name is Seam stay optimized stay empowered